Father, we thank you that that great exchange has taken place and that we can come boldly to the throne of grace tonight and every night, every day, at any time. It is not a throne of judgment and fear. It is a throne of grace and mercy and welcome with open arms as we just sung. And so we worship and give you thanksgiving for that. We ask now as we look into your word that you would speak through your very imperfect and feeble servant's lips. May you bring confidence and hope in your power to save tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good evening. Go ahead and be seated. Welcome again to Epiphany. Great to have you here uh, with us this evening as we worship in, uh, on a nearly perfect day in New York City. In case I haven't met you before, my name's Eric. I'm the pastor here. And um, we're in the fifth Sunday after Easter. It's hard to believe that we're already there. And uh, so we're looking at various Easter texts, various texts that, um, that flow from this time of the year. And tonight, we're looking at John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. The words will be on your screen. It's the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. It's the night of his uh, final meal with his disciples and a time of real fellowship. It's the night he institutes the Lord's Supper. And he says this to them. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here ends the reading of God's Word. Well, when my two uh, older boys, uh, that are now 13 and 12, but when they were a little younger, they basically did no things alone. They were together all the time. I mean, besides going to the restroom, they were pretty much inseparable and sometimes... Not even then. They would play games together. They'd watch TV together. They'd sit together. They'd fight together. The, I mean, each night, the boys would be put into their own beds, and somehow or another, they would end up in the same bed together. And the reason why I'm convinced is because even though we had five beds in the house, they didn't like being alone. They didn't want to, to go through any part of their life on their own. And the disciples in our text were afraid of the very same thing. 
Here Jesus has just told them he's, he's going to die, that he's going away from them. That's in the context here what's going on. He's, and then he's not just going to die, but he's going to go to a place that they cannot come. That's what the text says. They can't go. So they're said to be filled with sorrow. And it is then in the midst of their sorrow that Jesus tells them not to worry. And because contrary to the way it seems right now, they're never going to be alone again. Someone else is going to come to keep them company. Someone else has come and even taken up residence amongst his people. And that is, of course, the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. What is, what does Jesus say the Holy Spirit does in your life, in the life of those who are his followers? It's a significant question. I mean, he, after all, is the third member of the Trinity. He gets a lot of play in the pages of Scripture. What does he do? Well, first of all, we're told that he helps us. Listen again to what Jesus says. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now notice, first of all, very important, just to be clear, the Holy Spirit is not an it. And the Holy Spirit is not a force. It is not Star Wars. It is not some like, ooh, you know, it's not that. The Holy Spirit is a him. The Holy Spirit is a person. We're talking about a personality here. And from the rest of the scriptures, we know that this him is the third member of the Trinity, God himself. And what does he call himself? He calls himself the helper, the helper. Now, there are a number of ways to translate that word in Greek. The, the Greek word is paraclete, paraclete. Uh, you could translate the word comforter. So some translations do that. They say he's the comforter. Or you could translate it the one who comes alongside of another, somebody that just walks alongside of you in your life. Or maybe even encourager or my favorite, advocate. It was the same word used to describe the ancient world's defense attorney, an advocate. Regardless of which word we choose, uh, the title expresses the same thing for you here today. The Holy Spirit is one who is with you to help you. Christian, you are never, ever alone. Ever. The Holy Spirit is with you always to help you. 1 Corinthians 3 says, verse 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? He's not just floating alongside of you, nor is God sort of distant somewhere above the universe in the clouds, above the universe's bubble. God has decided to indwell his church with his presence. He's taken up residence in you to help you. Isn't that great news to know you got somebody that can help you all the time? It's good to know that you're not alone. It's good to know that Jesus didn't just leave and said, figure it out, folks. But no, he told the apostles, I'm going to send my spirit, and my spirit is going to help. He's going to guide. He's going to lead you. He's going to to be your advocate. He's going to stand up for you. We'll talk more about what that looks like later. 
When you're frantic and worried and frazzled over anything, the Spirit is there. When you're tempted, the Spirit is there. When you make a mistake, the Spirit is there. When you sin, He's there too. He is your helper. Second, second, Jesus says about the Spirit, the things that He does, he's, he's there to help, but He also, part of His help is He's there to convict. Listen to verse 8 again, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Let's break that down a little bit. It's a really full statement with a lot of meaning that I don't have enough time to go over really completely tonight, uh, but I'll try to unpack a little bit of it. The operative word for the Spirit's work in the passage is the word convict. Now, according to Greek scholars, a synonym for the word is to expose or to cross-examine. Now, let's put the first two things we've heard tonight together. On the one hand, what is the Holy Spirit? He's an advocate. He's your defense attorney. He stands up alongside you. He stands up for you. And yet, on the other hand, he's your cross-examiner. That's interesting. And truth is, he is both. When our consciences are weighed down by our sin, afraid that maybe, maybe God has had enough of us, well, he's our advocate. He's there to remind us, no, Christ paid for all the sin on the cross. It's all done. It's paid for. Don't worry. Be free. Rest. On the other hand, when we're seeking to justify our sin and walk in sin and not confess and come clean about our sin, well, then he's there to convict. And he's there to remind us that that is not how we should live. And he becomes our cross-examiner. Now, he says he's our cross-examiner in regard to three things. First of all, sin. Now, now this is not speaking specifically about sins, you know, any old sin. But in specific, the one laying behind all the other sins. It's talking about the sin of unbelief in him. That's what Jesus ties it to. This would be known, in other words, as idolatry. Uh, idolatry. It, it would do us well to ponder this for a bit as a church. Because so often the church wants to convict the world of its sinful behavior. So the church yells from, you know, its little corner of the world about all manner of societal ills. But here, what we're told is that underlying all those sinful actions is not the specific actions of sin, but it's the great sin. It's unbelief. It's rejection of Jesus. This is why when the early church went out and preached in the book of Acts, you don't hear them necessarily talking about specific sins of the culture, but you hear them merely presenting Jesus and then saying to the culture, repent and believe. Repent and believe in Jesus. Because they believed that all manner of societal ills would be cleaned up eventually if people repented and believed in Jesus. That the morality and whatever needed to be repaired that way flowed from faith first. Spirit also comes to convict of righteousness. Now again, this isn't specifically a conviction about needing to do more righteous stuff. 
Rather, Jesus tells us what it means. He says, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. In other words, the Spirit is pointing people to Christ's righteousness as the standard. He is convicting people to look to Christ, the only one who has ascended to the right hand of the Father for their righteousness. And he comes to convict of judgment. Specifically here, again, it's not judgment of you. It's judgment of the ruler. In other words, Satan. At the cross, Satan has become a defeated foe and therefore does not have ultimate authority over the world. So what does that practically mean for you? Well, one thing it means, we are not the ones that bring conviction. We are not the ones that cause something like that to happen it must be the Spirit who causes that to happen. I love, I mean, as a preacher, I love to have a guarantee that every time I preach, it would have its desired effect on everybody who hears. It would be great. But I got to tell you, after 12 years of preaching, there's a real mystery to this thing. There's a real mystery to this thing that I can't, I can't really predict. I'm telling you, this has happened so many times, I'm convinced just to keep me humble and help me remember that it's the Spirit that does the work of convicting and drawing people to Christ. I've preached a sermon, and I am just convinced, even in the middle of it, dude, this thing is bombing like nothing has ever bombed in the history of bombs. Like, this thing is terrible, I'm not connecting with anybody, I don't know what I'm talking about. Why am I doing this? These thoughts go on, by the way, in your preacher's head as he's even delivering the word. Like, oh, what am I doing up here? I give up. There's times where I felt like that. And then I've gotten to the back and I'm greeting people. And inevitably, inevitably, when my sermon stinketh, to use the old King James, inevitably, someone will come up to me afterwards Tears streaming down their cheeks and saying, Oh, Pastor, that was the most powerful message I've ever heard. And I'm like, You weren't listening. That was not a good message. It was not good. But it's not up to me. It's not up to my rhetoric. It's not up to my ability. And the same way, there's been times where I've preached and I feel like I could stand up here and just be like, I'm connecting with all of you. And I can see it and I feel it. Meh. Goes nowhere. Nothing. Doesn't hit. I don't know why. Except that I know the Spirit is the one that's doing the convicting work. It's not, I'm not in charge of it. And this is a freeing thing, by the way, for somebody and for you. If you were to share the word with your friends, which I encourage you to do, to invite your friends where they can hear the word, know that you only have so much responsibility. You know what you're called to do? You're called to share the message. You don't have any control over how they respond to the message. The parable of the sower talks about that. You get to sow the, seed, the, the message. You get to sow the seed. But even in that parable, most of the seed doesn't, doesn't grow. You know what? Pressure's off, folks. That's the Spirit's work. Pressure's off. The Spirit will convict. So the Spirit is... Is with you and he's using you and he will bring conviction through you to somebody whether you know it or not or whether you think it's working or not 
Thirdly, the Spirit declares. So the Spirit helps, the Spirit convicts, He declares. Listen to Jesus again. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Three times, Jesus tells us the Spirit will declare something to us. What is it he will declare? All truth. That's what Jesus says. This works out in two ways in this passage. One, he is telling the apostles, he's going to give you the truth of the gospel and the implications of it. And that is going to result in what we here now have as the New Testament. If you want to know where we get the idea in the church of apostolic inspiration, that the Spirit would inspire these people to get all truth, this is where it comes from. But second, he's reminding us of the truth of his word. The Spirit will never contradict God's word. One scholar said, the word is the wagon the Spirit travels in. I think that's the right way to think of it. it Thirdly, Jesus or the Spirit will remind you of the truth of who you are in Christ. There's going to be days where you're, going to, you're not going to be sure you are in Christ. There will be times where you wonder if he's near. There will be times where you feel like God is so close that you could touch him, and times where he feels so absent that you wonder if you ever really were a Christian to begin with. In those times, usually through the mouth of a preacher, the Spirit will show up and remind you whose you are. Theodore Parker Ferris, rector of Trinity Church in Boston in the early part of the last century, was having dinner with a young guy, and they were talking about this guy's father, who was known to be a pretty tough and hard man. Son said that he had, when he had been in the army, he had made a terrible mistake. He'd gotten into trouble and was given a dishonorable discharge. And he knew that what he had done had disgraced the family. And he was sure that his father would be outraged. But he also felt that he had to tell his father what had happened. And, and so the son says, I did. I told him. And I, I wired him and I told him what happened. And he sent a telegram back. And the telegram had just three sentences on it that said this. I will stand by you no matter what happens. I will be there in the morning. Remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. That's what the Spirit comes to declare to us. Remember whose you are. He comes to declare to us what will come. We do see that, too, in the pages of the New Testament. Prophecy about what's coming in the future. We see, uh, we see him declaring Jesus' glory. So, let me wrap up. We've learned today, Christians, that we are not alone because the Spirit is with us to help us, to convict us, and to declare to us the truth of God. He is with you right now. Whether you are at your lowest low or your highest high, you are not alone. 
He will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm reminded of the story I heard a while back from writer Nick Lannon. During Louisville's Elite Eight win over Duke a number of years ago on their way to a national championship, some of you may have seen this. Kevin Ware experienced what is probably, I mean, the most just horrid injury ever broadcast on live television. If some of you may have seen it. I mean, his, his leg, you could see his bone just pop out of his leg. And, I mean, straight through the skin, you saw his whole shin bone. Just was horrible. But it, it happened live, and so they, you, everyone saw it. And what was interesting is um, <laughs> everyone, the coaches, the players, the referees, instinctively moved away from, from where. I mean, when the break happened, they just instinctively like, oh, oh, because it was so, it's just too much to take, too much to see. Except one person, one person, where's teammate, Luke Hancock, went the other way. After he turned his head with everyone else at the side of the snap bone, instead he came to where? And he stayed with him on the floor while the medical staff worked. In the days leading up to the Final Four, Hancock had been asked many times by journalists, like, why did you do that? Why did you stay with him? And his answer was really simple, but I think profound. He says, you know, I, I don't really know why I went out there, but I just didn't want him to be alone going through this. And so our Lord, by his Spirit, promises us in our brokenness and inabilities, in our weaknesses and sufferings, in our loneliness and pain, we're not going to be alone. He kneels with us, he holds us, he prays for us, he helps us, he convicts us to look for Christ and declares to us, I am with you always to the very end of the age, and that is good news. Let's pray. Father, I ask now as we celebrate your presence, specifically coming to the table, that you would prepare us to receive the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray with one voice, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.